0: Welcome to the MindTales podcast. We are a fast-growing tech mental health organization, here to bring you the insights that you need to boost your emotional health and thrive in your daily life. It's our goal to make quality mental health care both accessible and inclusive. That's why part of our mission is to get discussions, conversations, and debates about mental health going. From psychiatrists to educators entrepreneurs and community members we bring you the stories and experiences of health advocates from around the world and that's what we're going to do today if you like our episode or have any suggestions for future content please like it leave a comment or connect with us on instagram at MindTalesOfficial. official it makes us so happy to hear from the mindtales community
1: Hi, Shuner, uh, it's great to meet you and welcome to the Mind MindTales podcast. Your work has been extremely impactful to all of us. Um, so thank you for coming today um, and joining us to share our story and chat a bit more about advice that you can give to us.
2: Thank you, Dalia, for having me on. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be on and to share some of my story and some of the tips that uh, have helped me throughout my life.
1: Yeah. So kick off, we would like to first ask you if you could tell us a bit more about your childhood and your experiences growing up. At an early age, you faced some unusual uh, and perhaps overwhelming experiences. So if you could talk a bit more about how you grew up and how you had to adapt to your family's changing circumstances.
2: Sure, thank you. So I was actually born in East Africa, um, in Tanzania. And I was born into what was then a wealthy family. My father owned a petrol station and a company in the oil and gas sector. So, you know, we we had our own nanny and I was the eldest of uh, several children because my father was the eldest of uh, three brothers and everybody lived together. And, um, you know, when I was three, because, uh, the circumstances in East Africa were such that they taught you in Swahili. My parents wanted me to learn English. So I was sent to a boarding school in Kenya called Loreto Convent, so that I would learn English. So education was top of mind. And then very soon after that, unfortunately, all the businesses got nationalized. And so we had to leave as a family from the country and moved to the UK and I all I remember is that around five and a half years old my father turning up at school one day and saying hey love you pack your bags we're leaving and uh, we drove to Nairobi and I was sort of where's mum and my brother and he said they've all gone Um, you're going on this plane on your own and I'll join you and so you know I arrived in England um, spoke English but not particularly well, our circumstances were very different because we had to get into a grocery store with a three bedroom apartment and each family had one bedroom. And my grandfather lived in the living room and being the eldest I got sort of involved in business very early on. So I think the key thing about this part of my life was that I learned to adapt to new circumstances and take on challenges. But I also learned the importance of having security in your life. And I think that's been a theme throughout my life, uh, as you'll hear later on, because when you're unsettled like that, um, although I was always with a very loving, caring family, uh, it does make you want to always make sure that it never happens to you again. And being the eldest, I saw it of my parents. I saw them work really hard, get to a point where they could enjoy their life, and then it was all turned upside down. So maybe to some extent, that's why my heart has always been out to displaced populations, and I've done work in that area. I'll stop there so that. Yeah, um...
1: thank you. Thank you for sharing (laughs) this. So, seeing how this has shaped you, would you have any particular kind of, you know, uh, things to say that it ha- shaped specific aspirations or if you had some kind of role models or particularly that time as you're sharing that your parents were that have shaped you to the way that you are today at the present.
2: Yeah, so look, I think that, that you know, the, the emphasis on education uh, has been huge on me and that's been sort of portrayed by my parents, but also by, you know, my faith um, I'm a follower of His Highness the Aga Khan, so I'm an Ismaili Muslim. And, you know, part of our faith is that balance between sort of religious and secular uh, and sort of the, the sort of strive for excellence in whatever you do. And I think these things have carried me at a time when, you know, things were really low. Um, you know, for example, I had hand-me-down clothes. I, I couldn't buy them in a shop. And, uh, you know, I, I um, had to come back from school and sort of serve in the shop and label tins with prices and so forth. But, you know, I've never seen these things as a hindrance, more as a foundational step from which to, to grow up. And so I think what I would say there is that, you know, circumstances can be really hard. And I have seen people in worse, much worse circumstances than my own. But I think my advice would be is never lose hope and always look at the glass half full rather than half empty. uh, And just keep that fire in your belly. Uh, because it's all about trying and trying and trying. And you might fail, but you know, with each failure, you build up that much more grit and perseverance as well.
1: Thank you you for sharing
2: this.
1: It's beautiful. (laughs) It's, It's hard, but that's beautiful for such an advice. If we could now go a bit more into the projects that you've been undertaking, and specifically today that one of the main things that I would be interested in hearing a bit more if you could share is the Thrive community. Um, so yeah. I know that it is an application. Um, if you could share a bit more details, what it does, um, what is its specific and you know, just in general, what was your motivation for creating this platform? What role do you see in general technology playing in bridging the gaps between communities in a similar way?
2: Sure. Um, so, look, I, I went on to, to get a scholarship into a private school and then managed to get into, at that time, the best school of physiotherapy in London uh, and graduated top of my class. And um, I've always had an interest in healthcare and movement or sport. And so I spent a decade being a physiotherapist, doing necks, backs and sports injuries. But during that time, I also um, sort of took care of older people. And in the shop, I always used to deliver stuff to older people. So I think that's been a thread in my life. Um, And then I spent 15 odd years in Afghanistan for a charitable organization, building a telephone company and my role was using technology for social goods. So things like telemedicine, e-learning, M-PESA. And during this time, unfortunately, I lost both my in-laws and I lost my father. So that left me looking after my mother at distance and... During that time, because I worked for a telephone company, of course, it was easy for me to call her on a regular basis and let her have an emergency pendant and whatever. But on one occasion, she spent eight hours on the floor. And that left me with extreme guilt and unhappiness. And the result of that was she went from being totally independent, driving, cooking, cleaning, doing voluntary work, living on her own, to being totally dependent on me. And she now lives with me. During that period of time, I guess I started looking into aging in general. And I started talking to caregivers, family caregivers, professional caregivers, care home owners, as well as older people. And what I realized is that our society is very, very focused on youth you know it's always about the millennials etc and i can understand that but we have a wealth of knowledge and talent and experience in our older people and that we could learn from equally there's a lot of stress on caregivers who are working usually married with kids to look after and seniors to look after older people to look after And when you look at the research around this, the sort of healthcare costs and the deterioration in uh, the health of the caregivers is very, very high for those that have caregiving duties and it costs the government a lot of money. Equally older people that are not purposefully engaged and just isolated and left to kind of watch TV or read or walk as most of their day tend to deteriorate in their health as well. And technology can provide a good platform to help address some of these gaps. The problem is that nobody has really invested heavily into this area. A lot of the technology available is around the business of caregiving. Finding a caregiver and getting a commission for that doing the billing for caregiving, you know, managing sort of inputs and outputs of beds, etc. It's not about the sort of quality of life angle, the socialization, and even with COVID coming, you know, it's things like Zoom and Facebook, but it still requires many logins and passwords and so forth, which for some elderly people, it's not accessible. And so my life over the last 10, 15 years has been very much focused on quality, affordability and accessibility. And so that's when I started looking at technology for older people, and that was the genesis for Thrive. So what Thrive really does is it's a platform that aggregates everything you need for caregivers and for seniors, both professional and informal in one place. So instead of having to go to, I don't know, Amazon or uh, Munchon or uh, Kareem to get all your different things, imagine if you could get all of that on one platform. To that, the senior is at the center of the platform, so they're part of it, and they have a circle of care around them that are part of the application, but... Basically, they have social engagement, purposeful engagement, because there are activities and um, sessions to attend. But they also have the ability to be able to connect very easily to any member of their family or their care team. And so they can feel sort of empowered and independent. Um, we this is a global application, uh, but we are initially launching it in the UK and uh, the US in two specific areas. Um, but obviously, members of the circle of care can be anywhere in the world. It's just the seniors are located there. Yes.
1: Yeah. Okay. Thank you for sharing this. Um, listening to this, I cannot even like describe how much social impact and positive change you have had on the world and every day how much struggle you've been through in general i would say that there is a very um common question that a lot of young and ambitious change makers have is like where do i start um so like you know where do i begin i have so many ideas how to change the community but like where do i begin so i think if you could tell us what advice you would have to yourself when you were at that particular point before you started and your professional journey to yourself? And what kind of advice could you give us to the current change makers that are in the world?
2: Sure, I mean that, you know, I think that one of the things that I am guilty of is I dream in Technicolor. And uh, (laughs) I tend to sort of look at problems in terms of what I call ecosystems, right? Mm So I I don't look at the problem of the older person just being isolated, right, and lonely. Mm -hmm. I look at who else impacts that older person and who else interacts with that older person and how can I bring all that together so that you can solve one for the other. Um, So, for example, one of the services that Thrive um, will provide, it's not providing just yet, is something called Skill Swap, where you bring an older and a younger person together to share an activity or a subject matter or an experience. And when we tested this in real life settings, what we found is that the older people felt so happy that they could actually provide some support and guidance and advice to somebody that was younger and younger people got a real life experience uh, from someone else that was older that had been through the same process and I remember we used to pay for the space and whenever we finished we'd say okay thank you everybody we'll see you next week and then everybody would just sit right back down and keep talking and we had to actually Mm -hmm. throw them out. So I think that my advice here would be that, you know, if you feel compelled to to make some change in some area and you've got uh, an idea, I think I would go and really explore that idea and test it. You know, map all the people around that problem set that can help you with advice or they've actually been through it Um, etc look at all the other options that are available and then when you really distill the fact that you know what you are planning to put out or do is going to be something that will be transformational then I think begin on your path of bringing together people that can support you and might join you and begin to map that process out now it always sounds so easy in sort of kind of self-help and interviews where people say, oh, I dream in Technicolor, you know, look at the problem, talk to people. It is actually very difficult and sometimes very lonely. Um, And very often you'll have very depressing moments, right? Because what you thought um, you would do, somebody refutes or uh, you know somebody else says oh that's already been done right um, and so you have to keep revisiting that but i think that you know you you're not going to be able to make changes in the world unless you are really committed you persevere and you're behind that if it was easy everybody would be doing it um so i think that's really a, a key key piece of it. And I think that the other piece of it is that you really have to have faith. You have to have faith that you can make a difference. And in that faith or that spiritual uh, process, I think for me, what's helped me is prayer. Meditation has helped me. Um, And then, you know, I tend to write and draw things. So I think writing and drawing and really analyzing, you know, um, putting in the positives the negatives, being honest with myself and vulnerable with myself has really helped me see beyond, right? What I'm trying to do is build the Amazon of caregiving. And there are other startups that are doing you know, very similar stuff, right? And some are ahead of me, some are behind me. But there are elements of what I am doing, which I truly, truly believe in. And because I have the system of writing, reflecting, you know, talking to trusted advisors uh, and being really honest and vulnerable with myself, I, I believe that I'm getting to the right place. And I can only give that advice because I know that when I was trying to build telemedicine in Afghanistan, which was 2006, today there's over 35,000 people that have used that. We've done pioneering operations, separated co-joined twins, when the world in 2020 was trying to really get telemedicine going in the developed world. So it's possible is my point. Yeah, it's possible. It's just hard.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, and I think you kind of are already going to the last question of our discussion, as uh, at the end of the podcast, we always ask our guests to talk a bit more about their mental health and what they do of these, like, basically three things of mental health essentials on the day when they're taking care of their uh, well-being. So you kind of touched base on journaling and the friction. So, If you could tell a bit more what mental health means to you and particularly dive into what journaling, reflection and everything means to you and your well-being when you're taking care of your mental health.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, I don't, one question that's out in my mind is I don't know if it's more women that do this than men. <laughs> <laughs> but I know both my children, I have a boy and a girl, both do it, but my husband doesn't do it. So, yeah. uh, I, you know, the, the jury's out on this. But I think that um, the journaling piece is, is important. Now, a lot of people will journal and actually write a diary I I don't do that, but I have volumes and volumes of books um, and I'm always drawing and writing because that's the way I connect the dots in my head. Um, And so I find that a really um, interesting way to reinforce um, my thinking because I think I'm thinking it, I'm writing it, I'm seeing it, yeah. And so I think that piece of it is really important because it helps with your subconscious. I think that the second thing about this is that when I write it, I can clearly present it to my advisors. And so they also can see the connected pieces, which I think is really important because sometimes you can envision where you're going, but you may not be that clear in expressing that to someone else. So, you know, the visual gives you that ability. I think that the, the second thing is that, you know, prayer, meditation, um, sitting quietly, whatever you wanna call it, you know, I, it, it doesn't matter. For me, um, you know, it is about sort of uh, praying, but I, I do that through walking. Uh, so every morning, I'll get up very early and, you know, I'll go for a long walk. And during that time, I'm just sort of reflecting, praying, you know, um, sort of verbalizing some of those prayers, you know, you might call it chanting or whatever. And they're all about sort of, you know, giving blessings and helping the world, helping myself, etc. And I think that kind of giving a gratitude is a really good way to to start your day. Um, And then, you know, I think that the third thing is that you've gotta be kind to yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't know that I'm the best at this, um, but I'm fortunate that I've got people around me that, that sort of will hug me and sort of say, hey, take it easy, be kind to yourself. But I think you do have to be kind to yourself, right? um there'll be good days bad days you want to learn from them i don't think you need to uh, bottle up your um emotions or feelings you know if you're feeling down just feel down you know take a moment to respect how you're feeling and express it because you'll feel a lot better after it um and i think you know in that way being kind is make sure you sleep well you feed well That you do respect some sort of time out because if you're so drained, you just can't think straight. Um, And I think, you know, part of the the sort of entrepreneurial negative is that you're always trying to run really, really fast, right? You're trying to get there, you're trying to make the change, you're trying to make the difference, you're trying to get traction, all of those things, right? Mm Um, and you can become obsessive about it, but you have to take some time out. So um, I think that that is important.
1: We think that's a beautiful last note. Thank you so much. That's um, all from our end, but generally Excellent. thank you so much from Mind Tales for joining and give us the time to share your story and advice, really.
2: Thank you. It was a pleasure, Dalia. I hope it helps. Take care, all the best.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Mind Tales Collective. If there were any questions that stood out to you, don't let these conversations stop here. Share your thoughts with your family and friends or send over a quick message to us on Instagram to share your thoughts with us. And don't forget to hit the follow button. You can find us at Mind Tales Official. We know it's been a tough year. We want to remind you to check in on how you're feeling and ask for help if you need it. Remember, self-care is more than a band-aid. Your mental health is important. Stay tuned for more content next week. Take care and talk to you soon.